Hello, listeners. Thanks to everyone who has streamed or downloaded the last episode about disaster movies. This episode, I went back to the hard science fiction realm to talk about cyborgs. Some of my favorite science fiction stories are about these half-human, half-machine characters. Not only are cyborg characters fun to watch because they typically have superhuman strength and speed, but they also pose great questions about what it means to be human. I'll be using research from the field of cybernetics, discussing famous fictional cyborgs, and examples of cyborgs in real life that you may not expect. I'm your host, Carly, and this is Fact and Science Fiction. Before I dive into the topic of this episode, I want to start a new segment about new science fiction or genre media I've recently consumed, read, watched, listened to that I want to recommend. Maybe it'll be called Recommendations. Not sure yet. In the last few weeks, I've read, listened, and watched some cool things that I want to tell you about. Though sometimes, probably in the future, I'll talk about things maybe I didn't enjoy and don't recommend. The first is the book Sleeping Giants by Sylvain Nouvelle from 2016, a sci-fi thriller, the first in a trilogy. I originally picked it out because I thought maybe it related to cyborgs so I could talk about it for this episode, but it turned out to be more about robots. I recommend the audiobook specifically, which was produced more as an audio drama with a full cast of voice actors. The book is about a team of researchers, military, and mysterious government entities who discover evidence of an ancient robot exoskeleton that came from somewhere. The action is recounted in clips of interviews by an unnamed interrogator. It's a super quick read or listen, and the ending definitely posed a mystery that I'm interested in learning more about. I will say when everything is recounted in interviews, including the action, it's not as exciting as if you were in the characters' heads like a traditional novel, but it's a compelling audio drama if you get the audiobook. The movie I want to talk about today is a film that came out last year called Color Out of Space, directed by Richard Stanley and starring Nick Cage and Jolie Richardson. It's an adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's story, The Color Out of Space. I haven't read the story, so not sure how close it is, though I'm pretty sure they use lines from the story for some voiceover narration. So in the film, a glowing purple meteorite lands in the front yard of a family's remote farm, and things get stranger from there. I describe it like the thing meets annihilation, which I've talked about before. Color Out of Space is weird and scary, so it is uh, definitely a horror film with sci-fi elements. The practical effects are still haunting me several days later, but it's also quite beautiful the way the strangeness starts to take hold, infecting the family's land, animals, and even their own bodies and minds. I rented the movie from my library's digital collection, so I definitely recommend seeing if that's available to you, Um, but it's available everywhere. I recommend that if you are a fan of like horror and sci-fi, like uh, The Thing, Reanimator, it's definitely in that realm. It is not suitable for children. Even if your kids are used to watching rated R movies, um, this one really sticks with you visually. So word of caution for parents out there. Kind of the opposite of Color Out of Space that I watched and loved recently is She-Ra and the Princesses of Power on Netflix. The fifth and final season was released just two weeks ago, and I basically watched the entire series um, over just a few days. 
I cannot recommend it enough if you have kids in your life, but even if you don't have kids, I mean, I don't have kids, but it's the kind of show like Parks and Recreation and Warehouse 13 that is basically all about magic and friendship. Um, it's very a comforting show, um, but also very engaging, like was really interested in the plot as well. It's created by the writer of one of the best graphic novels of all time, Nimona, and the series Lumberjanes, um, Noelle Stevenson. It all starts with a war between the citizens on a magical planet called Etheria and the invading army called the Horde. The main character, Adora, and her best friend, Katra, are young soldiers of the Horde who are in charge of attacking and fighting off the royalty or princesses that protect the towns in Etheria. Adora finds a magical sword in one of these villages that transform her into the planet's mythical protector, She-Ra. She realizes that the Horde are the bad guys, and she decides to start protecting the planet, which basically ruins her friendship and starts a very entertaining rivalry with Katra. The reason I love this show so much is that it's incredibly diverse and inclusive of different body sizes, characters of color, lots of LGBTQIA plus representation throughout the five series or five seasons. The relationship between Katra and Adora is very moving um, and probably my favorite part as they kind of morph from best friends to rivals to enemies <laughs> and back again to maybe even more. I don't know. So She-Ra is on Netflix and I recommend it 10 out of 10. As part of my uh, comic book and beer club in Kansas City here called Comic Brooks, I recently read the graphic novel Profit created by Rob Leefield. I read volume one as part of our main meeting. Um, volume one is a collection of five different stories about John Profit, who wakes up from his pod in an as yet undetermined future of Earth that looks nothing like the Earth of today. Uh, we follow John Prophet as he follows his mission of waking up more pods, making a pilgrimage in the strange Earth that has been taken over by like humanoid insects, sentient robots, and a mysterious voice called Mother. The cool thing about the volume is that each story is like a different subgenre of science fiction. The first story reminded me of Dune because it was very mystical and mysterious. There was a lot of spiritualism that was apparent but wasn't really explained. The reader kind of has to go along with it. It was also very action-oriented, like Conan the Barbarian is the only way we kind of discussed it in the group. The second story is very traditional, hard sci-fi. It takes place on a spaceship. The character has to deal with radiation sickness. The setting of this one is like alien, and so on. So I won't tell you um, everything about the volume. After volume one, I still have a lot of unanswered questions, but I Really enjoyed reading the first volume and will be checking out more. The last piece I want to recommend is Janelle Monae's 2010 album, The Ark Android. It recently celebrated the 10-year anniversary of its release. It is Janelle Monae's second and third part of her concept album series, Metropolis, inspired by the 1927 sci-fi silent film, Metropolis. And um, the concept is about a messianic android called Cindy Mayweather. She's sent back in time to free the citizens of Metropolis uh, from a secret society that suppresses like freedom and love. Janelle Monet has used elements of sci-fi and Afrofuturism throughout her work, especially the concept of an oppressive authority that suppresses love and expression, even in her latest um, album, Dirty Computer, of course. 
I recommend all her music, but especially Janelle Monae's Metropolis series and the Arc Android for sci-fi fans. Um, check out the music video for Tightrope on YouTube. It essentially explains the whole concept. Uh, the songs Cold War and Come Alive, War of the Roses demonstrate Janelle Monae's musical range, and those are probably my like two of my top favorite Janelle Monae songs of all time. So there you have it. If you can listen to Arc Android in one earbud, Sleeping Giants in the other, while you read Prophet, um, and then watch Color Out of Space, and then watch She-Ra right after so you don't have nightmares. <laughs> I can't look at my phone and listen to someone speaking to me, but I actually tried to watch two movies at the same time a few weeks ago, one movie on my TV and one on my iPad, and it did not work. Somehow we know intrinsically that our attention span is getting worse, and yet we want to believe that we can multitask more. Anyway, let's dive into cyborgs. The technical definition of cyborg is as a portmanteau for a cybernetic organism. However, when people use the word cyborg, I believe they mean a humanoid being that has some sort of cybernetic or technological enhancements. In this episode, I'll give real examples of cybernetic organisms living today, human or otherwise, but these examples may surprise you. I'll define what exactly cybernetics means and why exactly cybernetics is an exciting industry to watch. Cyborgs in science fiction have to be one of the most exciting themes or characters in sci-fi. Lots of people ask what the differences are between cyborgs, androids, and robots. So you may be surprised what sci-fi characters actually count as cyborgs. Cyborgs, androids, and robots are similar in that they all involve machinery, some mech or tech, depending on um, what words they use in the science fiction. And they also tend to be autonomous or sentient. I think that's why they get confused with each other, especially cyborgs and androids. The most popular definition of cyborg is as a human who has had technological advancements. Like mentioned earlier, like Seven of Nine and Other Borg and Star Trek or Grace from Terminator Dark Fate. An android is a synthetic organism that has been covered with biological material, such as the character the Terminator or Bishop in Aliens. Robots are completely mechanical, but can be sentient or autonomous. For instance, Tony Stark wears a robot suit, but he is technically a cyborg because his heart is being powered by tech. Cyborgs and the idea of human enhancement by technology has been a through line through the beginning of science fiction and technology. So the widely accepted definition of cyborg is of a human life that is improved or enhanced by technology or a human machine hybrid. Cybernetics is the science of communications and automatic control systems in both machines and living things. The crux of cyborgs is figuring out how machinery and the organism can communicate and understand signals. However, cybernetics as a science can apply to all sorts of industries, not just engineering or computer science. Cybernetics is also a field in communication and media, even in folklore, because all organisms communicate with the outside world through information and feedback loops, so every field could have a cybernetic lens. For this specific topic, I'm going to focus on the subfield of cybernetics called cyborg studies. According to Ronald Klein's article, Where are the Cyborgs and Cybernetics? Cyborg studies is also known as medical cybernetics. The term cyborg in the scientific context was first used in 1960 in a paper presented at a military conference during the height of the Cold War by Manfred Klein's and Nathan Klein. That's a lot of Klein's. Researchers at a psychiatric hospital. 
They wrote, For the artificially extended homeostatic control system functioning unconsciously, one of us has coined the term cyborg. The cyborg deliberately incorporates exogenous components, extending the self-regulatory control function of the organism in order to adapt to new environments. Now, that is pretty jargony, but the context is that is that they were researching technology that could help astronauts survive the harsh environment of space. How's that for science and science fiction? The paper Kleins and Klein presented was about a lab experiment in which they implanted an osmotic pump into a lab rat. This pump injected drugs at a rate determined by feedback from the mouse. Together, this pump and mouse together, according to the researchers, became a cybernetically extended organism, what they called a cyborg. If you think about the definition of a technology-enhanced living organism, then we are all cyborgs. According to the Cyborgology page on cyborganthropology.com, we have always existed with technology. They wrote, Advances in medicine augment our bodies with technology such as pills, pacemakers, IUDs, Viagra, contact lenses. Widespread but kind of uncommon is the left ventricular assist device, or LVAD, that is a portable device that helps a patient's heart pump successfully. Immediately, patients have more mobility, can talk and live well. They just don't have a pulse. My wife Jess was telling me about this because she said you can hear an LVAD working with a stethoscope. Their heartbeat isn't like a lub-dub, lub-dub. It's like a laboosh, laboosh. I know that might not be the definition we are used to, but we basically look at computers every single day, if you think about it. Our smartphones change their feedback based on our touch, and with microphones and cameras, it can respond differently depending on our faces, voices, and browsing histories. It may not be implanted into our brain quite yet, but you can see the connection. But you're fine, we'll be more specific. Do cyborgs exist in a half-machine, half-human way from science fiction, in which our human brains control implants, implanted in our brains or in our limbs? Let's be honest, when we imagine cyborgs, we don't think of pacemakers or even Iron Man's heart transplant. He's mostly human. Instead, we think about robotic arms, maybe robotic eyes, like the DC Comics character Cyborg. Well, the truth is, yes, cyborgs exist, but they're just people and their implants are designed um, so you can't tell because they're just people. As mentioned earlier, cyborg studies are also known as medical cybernetics. Prosthetic limbs have progressed exponentially, specifically in, sci- in like medical cybernetics. According to a 2018 article in MIT News, researchers used a new surgical technique to improve muscle tendon sensory feedback to the nervous system in rats. According to the article, during a conventional limb amputation, muscles are severed in a way that cuts off a key relationship that normally helps people control their limbs and sense where they are in space. When limbs are amputated, that relationship can't exist, and typically with prosthetic limbs, patients can't really sense where they are. They have to look at the prosthetic limb to understand where it is, what it's doing. The MIT researchers set out to recreate this muscle relationship by grafting muscles to the site from other parts in the body. In their paper in the journal Science Robotics, the researchers tested the muscle grafts in rats and found that when the rats contracted one muscle of the pair, the other muscle would move in the opposite way and send sensory information back to the brain. This technique, if moved forward in humans, would decrease prosthetic limb rejection rate and improve the communication between patients and their prosthetic limbs, the entire purpose of cybernetics. 
Forbes magazine collected a bunch of recent advances in cybernetic enhancements. In 2018, the University of Louisville and the Mayo Clinic published studies on a new spinal cord implant technique called epidural stimulation that enabled five paraplegic patients to regain movement. The technique involves implanting an array of electrodes below a spinal cord injury to amplify the weakened brain signals that are still transmitted to a patient's legs. One of the researchers, a co-author of a University of Louisville study, said it is like the spine is more aware. It can actually listen to that little whisper from the brain that it's still there, thus creating an artificial link between brain and body by enhancing biological signals. Cybernetic enhancements are revealing more and more information about how our brain interacts with the rest of our body, how we're sending signals throughout our limbs to move or to react. Other examples of real cyborgs involve electrodes to measure or pass along signals from our brains to a receiver, whether that receiver is organic or synthetic. Medical cybernetics has always been focused on healing injuries or improving quality of life through technology. In science fiction, these kinds of advancements or technologies can be twisted to harm. One of the most entertaining cyborgs I've read recently is All Systems Read by Martha Wells, a novella about a cyborg servant called SecUnit. It's the first part of a five-book series. In this future world, there are augmented humans who are free citizens, and then there are SecUnits who are augmented humans that have been programmed to work. The SecUnit starts the book as a security unit for a corporation and contracted out as protection for a research base on an alien planet. The character calls themselves a murder bot because they have been programmed to kill. And so the series is called the murder bot series. However, they have secretly overridden their programming and they have autonomy for the first time. The book is from their point of view. So you can hear their derision for their employers, their love of soap operas while still maintaining the farce that they are a drone cyborg robot. The audiobook All Systems Read was very short, so I don't feel bad for spoiling it. I still recommend it. I'm listening to the second one right now, actually. It's funny, one of the f- most frequent Google searches about cyborgs is, will cyborgs have rights? And at first I thought that was weird because, like I said earlier, cyborgs are humans that just have tech enhancements. Like you wouldn't say to a person with a prosthetic limb, hey, uh, did you lose any rights? But now that I read Martha Wells, um, maybe that's not guaranteed in the future, especially if they can like program person with implants. I also started the book War Girls by Chochi Anyabuchi about two cyborg sisters living in a futuristic Nigeria. I'm not very far in it, so I won't speak much about the plot. However, it's interesting because both in Martha Wells and Onibuchi's world, not only do these cyborg characters have special abilities due to their mech or tech-enhanced bodies, but they also have a wireless connection to the internet interfaced into their brain. The characters can perceive extra layers of information over their regular vision, but they can understand data at lightning speed 24-7. It's like their processing power has been amped up that they can read and comprehend information way faster than their non-augmented counterparts. It's like in the Matrix when Trinity downloads helicopter pilot skills from the internet in seconds. Except these characters aren't in a virtual world, they can do this at all times. This is obviously the ideal of cybernetics, understanding feedback loops and communication between technology and the brain. But is what Martha Wells described in All Systems Read possible? Can augmented humans be programmed? To answer that, we can look at all the work engineers and scientists have done on insect brains. 
The Hybrid Insect Microelectromechanical Systems is a project under the United States Department of Defense, which develops tightly coupled machine insect interfaces or insect cyborgs by placing micromechanical systems inside the insects for certain tasks, such as surveillance. Building tiny, tiny robots is expensive. Putting tiny cameras and microchips into insects to control their muscles and record data is cheaper. This is like straight out of Ant-Man. Early research found that cyborg roaches were much faster than uncontrolled roaches, even when given random commands like left-left, right-left. They spent less time moving against walls and open spaces, so they would be more efficient than just putting tiny cameras on just roaches. You have to have the microchip if you actually want to control them and get valuable data. Cyborg roaches can also be used for search and rescue missions. They can explore areas that would be too small or too dangerous to enter for humans. According to an article on Robotics Tomorrow, roaches could be released into a collapsed building with each roach equipped with a backpack that produces random commands and contains infrared sensors to detect body heat. Once a roach detects a human heat signature, a rescue team could use the radio signals from multiple roaches to triangulate their exact location and plan the rescue of buried people. But they aren't just working on roaches. Cybernetic implants have been successfully attached to beetles, flies, and moths. At the University of Oxford, neuroscientist uh, Jiro Miesenbach uses genetic engineering, chemicals, and lasers to adjust fruit flies' brains and their behavior. After segregating the parts of a fly's brain, which is responsible for certain behaviors such as jumping and flying, he engineered flies in which these brain cells would be sensitive to light, so shining a laser at the flies was sufficient to rouse these actions. So to answer the previous question, would it be possible for what we know right now for augmented humans to be programmed? In general, the only thing that science has done is been able to remotely stimulate muscles to contract in a way that would make roaches or insects move in different directions or jump or fly on command. They don't really have like the sentience or the brain power to fight it off. So it is unlikely in short. See, this is why engineering has to be taught along with the humanities. Yes, implanting machinery into insects to control their movements could have really valuable applications like search and rescue missions. But I mean, I think slippery slope arguments aren't super helpful. But just remember, researchers, that research ethics is a thing and always seek informed consent. However, investigating electrical signals that control muscle movement or brain changes can help us learn more about that black box, the human brain. Stimulating parts of the brain that have been damaged due to trauma or disease may improve health and quality of life. As with most science, research is still ongoing. So obviously controlling human brains by remote control probably won't happen. Like discussed earlier, most human cybernetic enhancements is done in the medical field. However, some non-sick people want to invest in cybernetic implants. In fact, there is a growing area of support among people to embrace cybernetic enhancements in in themselves, regardless of disease or injury. They truly believe that humanity as a whole can improve with body modification by way of cybernetic implants. This kind of philosophy was featured in the first season of Orphan Black in the group Neolution, which was human-driven evolution using genetic engineering and technology. But let me just say that the Neolutionists were the villains. This is probably one of the few episodes where I can say that cyborgs are closer to reality than most science fiction themes. 
While they may not be what we see in science fiction and horror films, and perhaps patients living temporarily with a pacemaker or LVAD probably won't appreciate being called a cyborg, there's a lot of exciting research in other implanted mechanical devices, such as prosthetic limbs that can feed sensory information back to the user, or roaches wearing little backpacks that can sense human heat signatures in search and rescue missions. It's fun to think about. Just to sum up all that we've discussed, the term cyborg means cybernetic organism as part of the broad field of study called cybernetics that researches communication and feedback systems between organisms and machines. Cyborg was defined as an organism enhanced or improved by machinery or technology, first used in 1960 to describe an implant or assistant device that could help astronauts survive in space. However, now we exist day-to-day with technology by our side. Technically, we could all be described as cyborgs, though we may never be as cool as Seven of Nine or as impervious as the Terminator. Who is your favorite fictional cyborg? Let me know about it on Twitter at Fact and Sci-Fi. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend. The transcript for this episode and other content is live on factandsciencefiction.com. And lastly, thanks for listening.